Good morning once again. What a great time of worship we've had. Now, if you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of First Peter. We're in First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Mike will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. All right, starting in verse 6, Apostle Peter's writing, and he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The title of my study this morning is Much More Than Happiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place this morning where we sense your presence here through worship. We know that you're here, and we know, Lord, through your word, you're going to speak powerfully to our hearts this morning. So for our part, Lord, we pray that we would have open ears just to receive all that you have for us today, that we might learn these truths, apply them to our lives, that we might glorify you with our lives in even greater capacities. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone here that has joined us that is yet to surrender their lives to you, they're not born again, Lord, they they don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven. We pray, Lord, that you would especially touch their heart this morning and they would see and sense your love for them and they would turn to you today. So we thank you for this time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I got to thinking about my kids when they were young and, and how I would take them to McDonald's and get them Happy Meals. You know, maybe you have kids and you still do that. I don't know. You know, that marketing genius of an idea to take some nuggets and fries in this cool box, include a cheap little toy, and you've done it. You brought happiness to your children. Their advertisements have convinced children from all over the world that they have a McDonald's-shaped vacuum in their little hearts that can only be filled with a Happy Meal. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in a Happy Meal. problem with Happy Meals is that the happy wears off when they need a new fix. No child discovers lasting happiness in just one meal. I don't ever recall my kids ever saying to me as they got older, Dad... I'm such a happier person today because years ago you bought me a Happy Meal. Listen, Happy Meals brings happiness only to McDonald's. Ever wonder why Ronald McDonald's has a grin on his face? 20 billion Happy Meals served, and that's why. Now, as we get older, we don't get any smarter. Our Happy Meals just get more expensive. Uh, yeah, I, I, if I get a new car, I'm happy. If I get that job promotion, I'm going to be happy. I, I won't be happy if I don't get these things. See, practically everyone is searching for happiness, but it's happiness that is based off of happenings. That, happy, that type of happiness always forgets about one person, and that's God. On the other hand, Christian joy is directly related to God. Psalm 1611 says this, You will show me the path of life, 
In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Peter says here in verse 8 that we can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now that word joy appears in our Bible some 158 times. The word rejoice 199 times. Altogether, words like gladness and joy and joyful and rejoicing appear almost 500 times. It's a constant theme throughout the scriptures. Joy is the firm confidence that all is well regardless of your circumstances. Sherrod Wirt, he used to work for the Billy Graham organization, a journalist, uh, uh, gone on to be with the Lord, but he defined joy this way. He says, joy is the enjoyment of God and the good things that come from the hand of God. If our new freedom in Christ is a piece of angel food cake, joy is the frosting. If the Bible gives us the wonderful words of life, joy supplies the music. If the way to heaven turns out to be an arduous, steep climb, joy sets up the chairlift. I like that. That's why Peter describes this joy in verse 8 as inexpressible. What does inexpressible mean? You can't express it. It, there's, There's no words. It's above words. It's above language. It means that any words that you try to find to articulate the experience that you have would fall short of the real experience that you have. It's inexpressible. The Phillips translation renders verse 8, He brings you a joy that words cannot express. Do you have that type of joy this morning? Sadly, there are many Christians today that are living their lives without any joy. It's like, yeah, brother, I'm fighting the fight. I'm walking the walk. I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I've been through hard times. You don't know how hard my life is. But you know what? Your life, you're depressing is what you are. That's what you are. Yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. You know, uh, how hard my life has been. Billy Sunday, great evangelist before Billy Graham, once said, if you have no joy, there must be a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Why? Because your eyes are on your circumstances. Listen, Peter is writing these words about joy to people that were in the midst of great suffering and persecution. He's instructing them that even in the midst of great suffering, you can have joy. A joy that doesn't depend on happenings, on circumstances, but is related to something far more secure and stable, our relationship with Jesus Christ. Peter, in these few verses this morning, really lays out for us how true joy comes through faith, through hope, and through love. And that's our three points that, that if you're taking this morning, we're going to show, we're going to look at. Number one, joy that comes through faith. Number two, joy that comes through hope. And number three, joy that comes through love. First point is joy that comes through faith. See, faith is the foundation. Now, it's just not faith in faith, but it's faith built upon a holy God who sent His Son to die for our sins. Our faith has to be in the right place. You're not going to have joy if if your faith is in a church to save you. You're not going to have joy, uh, true joy, if your faith is in the good works that you do to save you. You're not going to have true and lasting joy if the foundation is in anything that you do. It's got to be in who He is and what He's done for you. See, Peter says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. In what? what? What brings you joy? What is the cause for rejoicing? Remember the answer we looked at last week in the first five verses. See, follow Peter's line of thinking here. Go back to verse 1. He says to these people, You guys have been picked by God. You're the elect. Verses 1 and 2. Then he says that, that God has given you a living hope, verse 3. Then he says, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that doesn't fade away. That's verse 4. 
And then when life is all over, it gets better in eternity. That's verse 5. And because of all this is true, you rejoice. That's verse 6. You have joy. But the foundation begins with faith. Faith in our God who is totally committed to being our God in our lives to do the work that He wants to do in our lives. God has acted and will continue to act on our behalf. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's just who God is. It's just what God does. Therefore, our faith is in God and what He is accomplishing in our lives. This means that there's one constant factor in a world that is full of uncertainties and inconsistencies, and that is this. We serve a God who is totally committed to being our God. He's on our side. And those that know this have that joy that comes through faith. And yet Peter continues to talk about our faith growing through times of trouble. Now look at all of verse 6. He says here, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter uses the word trials here instead of of tribulations or persecutions because he's dealing with general problems that Christians face on a daily basis. Various trials that we all face. I suppose if we had to categorize the types of trials that we face on a daily basis, I think we could break it down into three. Number one, there's physical trials. Number two, there's emotional trials. And number three, there's spiritual trials. Physical trials, we, we kind of know them. They're the trials that, that the reality of, you know, maybe a broken bone or, or worse, cancer or strokes or birth defects or, or automobile accidents. The Apostle Paul had a, uh, called a, what, he, what he called a thorn in his flesh, which most scholars believe was a, a lingering eye disease that he had. Then there was a man named Simon who had leprosy or, or Job in the Old Testament. He had a deteriorating, debilitating, long-term skin condition. There's many chapters written about diseases and physical conditions that affect God's people. So there's physical trials that we face. Then there's emotional trials. Like the, the trials of a, of a heartache because of a divorce or, or the death of a loved one or maybe losing a good friend. I think one of the reasons we love the book of Psalms so much is because we can relate to David as he went through these various emotional trials and he was able to record his emotions there in the Psalms. For example, Psalm chapter 6, verse 6, David cries out, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. I mean, you can just sense the emotion. And I'm sure we've been there. Oh, Lord. As you go through this emotional trial. Then there's the spiritual trials. I don't think we think much about these types of trials. A spiritual trial is one where we struggle over sin or our own guilt. We, we wrestle with doubts about God or our own walks with the Lord. Spiritual trials are when we wrestle with expectations we we may have of God. Spiritual expectations that are unrealistic expectations. And we feel let down when they're not realized. Now I'm sure Job, he went through all three, physical, emotional, and and spiritual. And that happens. But I think of John the Baptist. I think he went through a, a spiritual trial there when uh, he, after he was arrested and, and uh, he believed Jesus. You know, he was in prison. Uh, John was in prison. He believed Jesus. He thought that, that Jesus was the Messiah, but, but Jesus wasn't making things happen as fast as John thought he, he, they should. And so John began to have some doubts. So he sent messengers to Jesus and asked him, are you really the one or should we look for somebody else? Those are spiritual doubts, trial that, that John was going through. And then we can face those, those, those spiritual expectations that, that, that aren't met. And they're trials. So there's various trials, and they can be diverse. But I want you to notice what, what Peter says about these trials. 
He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So sometimes there is a need for us to go through trials. I mean, that, that's what we're reading here. And why is that? Because the Lord wants us to grow in our faith, faith that produces joy. Now, sometimes we need to go through trials because the Lord needs to discipline us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You know, and other times trials prepare us for spiritual growth or even to help to prevent us from sinning. Now, when we go through hard times, our difficulties, people sometimes say, well, I don't see anything good coming from this trial at all. Well, does the Bible say that we see all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose? No, it doesn't say that. It says, and we know, not see, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We may not see things working together for good this month or this year or even in our, in our lifetime. The Bible doesn't say that we see it. The Bible says that we know it. That's what Peter's reminding the believers to whom he's writing. There is an end goal. That's what Peter says. Look at verse 7. He says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, here's the end goal. In this you greatly rejoice, even though you've been grieved by various trials. Peter says, I want to tell you in the end, the genuineness of your faith that is so precious will be seen at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As I shared last time, I love that big old Peter here is using the word precious, you know, much more precious than gold, you know, but, but he says the road you take is going to be tested by fire because your faith is more valuable than any earthly substance. You see, our faith is firmly grounded and our joy is established when we realize that we have a merciful God who allows us to go through tough times, physical, emotional, and spiritual trials to produce that foundation of faith so that our faith does grow and as our faith grows, so does our joy. That's why Peter calls her faith much more precious than gold that perishes. Perhaps you recall the story I've shared before about the rich man who was determined to take his wealth with him to heaven. Well, the Lord finally gave in to his fervent prayers and there was one condition. He could bring only one suitcase of valuables. So the rich man decided to fill his suitcase with gold bullion. Well, the day came that God called him home and as usual in these stories, Peter is there at the pearly gates ready to greet him. But Peter tells him he can't bring in this suitcase. Oh, but I have an agreement with God, the man explained. Well, that's unusual, said Peter. Mind if I take a look? Well, the man opened up the suitcase to reveal the shining gold bullion, and Peter was amazed. Why in the world would you bring pavement up here to heaven? Here's my point. In Peter's portfolio, faith is far more valuable than gold. Faith that is grounded in who God is and what God is doing in your life. Peter says, I know you're going through exceedingly difficult days with even tougher times ahead, but you can still choose to have joy, to rejoice, because these trials will stand to strengthen your faith. Because he says here that the genuineness of your faith is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. See, Peter's going all the way back to the book of Job and Job's life because Job actually brought this up first. Job 23.10, he said this, but he knows the way that I take 
When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now we know that the ancient goldsmith would refine gold by placing it in such an intense heat that, that it would melt and all the impurities would rise to the surface and they would scrape off that dross. They would scrape off the impurities. But then they would heat it back up again and do the process all over again so that more impurities would rise to the surface and then they would scrape that off once again. Listen, trials, they do the same thing for us as believers. They have a way, a way of causing the impurities in our lives to be revealed. And as we go through a trial or time of testing, often what surfaces is not very pretty. Often it can be very ugly. Because as we go through this trial, then, then maybe some anger surfaces. Maybe there's some, some bitterness that surfaces. Maybe some, some, some harmful words that come out to the surface. The Lord's going, okay, that needs to be refined by the fire. And if we learn the lesson, great. If not, then it's back down in the fire we go. Back into another trial. Now, my prayer is not that I don't go through trials and, and times of testing because I, I know the Lord is strengthening my faith when I do. But my prayer is that when, when I go through time, times of trials and testing, that I learn the lessons that I need to learn from them the first time so that I don't have to go back and learn them all over again. See, I don't like the school of hard knocks. I like the school of first time learning it and not having to learn this again in school. It's a long name for a school, but, but, but that's what I like. I mean, think about this. When does the goldsmith know that the gold has been refined, that it's pure? When he can see his reflection there in the gold. And the same thing is true for us. The Lord knows when we are through, when he sees his reflection in us. So that when we go through times of testing, when we go through times of trials, when the words that come out of our mouths are now God's words, and the attitude of our hearts is now God's heart, and there's compassion instead of bitterness, that's when, when God says, that's the reflection I want to see. And this again is brought about through trials and difficulties that we face in our lives. Now, people might think, well, there's got to be an easier way. I, I think sometimes that's our problem. We're always looking for the easy way out, the shortcut to, to spiritual growth and maturity. We want the, the cliff notes to, you know, or fast food spirituality. But listen, there are times when we simply have to go through the fire. There is no other way. But I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says this concerning trials. They do not last forever. They are for a season. When God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. If we rebel, he may have to reset the clock. But if we submit, he will not permit us to suffer one minute too long. The important thing is that we learn the lesson he wants to teach us and that we bring glory to him alone. Or what Isaiah says, the Lord says through Isaiah in Isaiah 43, verse 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In other words, the Lord allows us to go through trials, not to destroy us, not to bring destruction to us, but to grow us up in faith, because He knows a joy that will come through faith. When you see the Lord's hand in your life in that trial, when you hear Him speak to your heart during that difficulty, when you see the Lord's faithfulness, faithfulness to know that you're going to get through it, there's joy. But it also produces hope. So that when the new trial comes along your way, you're able to look back on the previous trial and realize, listen, God took me through this last one. He's going to take me through this next one. And that brings us to our second point, the joy that comes through hope. Notice there's a great note of hope in what Peter's saying here. Look back at verse 6. 
Peter says, now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Why a little while does he say that? Why does he say a little while? Because when we're in the midst of a heavy trial or temptation or suffering or difficulty, what do we usually say? When is this going to be over? This is taken forever. There's no end to this. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no way of easing the pain. Will I ever get past this? Can I ever forget or forgive what happened to me? Peter says, have hope. It really is only for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. He's letting us know they're not going to go on forever. I've shared with you folks before my favorite phrase in the Bible, and it came to pass. Why? Because we need to have an eternal perspective. That's what we looked at last time. Peter said in verse 3 that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Letting us know that we need to have an eternal perspective. Because when our eyes are, are fixed on that trial, then we have those questions of uncertainty and we become overwhelmed with the difficulties. But if our eyes are fixed on the eternal, then we'll be looking at the trial and the life in life from, from an eternal perspective. It's like the story I read about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson as they were camping out one night. As they laid down, Holmes said, Watson, look up into the sky and tell me what you see. Watson said, I see millions and millions of stars. Holmes then said, and what does that tell you? Watson replied, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and that we are insignificant. Meteorologically, it tells me that we have a beautiful day tomorrow. Then Watson said, uh, well, what does it tell you? To which Holmes replied, well, it tells me that somebody stole our tent. Get it? First servant, I, I had a kid that just busted up and laughing, a little toddler. He appreciated the joke. It's all a matter of perspective, my point is. If our eyes are fixed on the eternal, then our lives will be touched with rays of hope. The Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has His hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Paul put it a different way in Romans 8.18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which should be revealed in us. See, when we look at life from an eternal perspective, it transforms us and brings us one step closer to eternity. It's in this kind of hope that joy can be found. Listen, if you're placed your hope in gold and in investments and real estate holdings and, and 401ks, you're going to be worried a lot about it and you're not going to have joy. You'll spend most of your days worrying about and looking for ways to save your investments to protect them. You'll be constantly watching the stock, mar stock market, monitoring the news, listening to what analysts say to your head's ready to explode. But on the other hand, if you recognize that our hope is in Christ Jesus and that we're going to spend eternity with Him in heaven, then you and I can experience a joy that comes through hope that the world just doesn't understand. I read... A story of how in England, after a person dies, they published in the papers the contents of the people's wills after probate. One day, a couple was reading the newspaper. The husband came across a wealthy businessman that passed away. The man said to his wife, did you see that so-and-so passed away? No, she said. How much did he leave? He answered her, everything. Listen, one of these days, we will all leave everything. 
doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how famous you are, how wealthy you are, we leave it all behind. As I've often said, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You leave it all. But to the Christian, we have, according to verse 4 here, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In other words, I know what you're going through is rough, Peter's saying, but it's only for a season. Rejoice because you're going to heaven. Listen, that brings hope. It's like this. Let's say you go to the counter, the United Airlines counter at the airport, and the ticket agent says, your flight to Chicago, it's on time. There's been some turbulence, but we absolutely guarantee that you'll get there. Our plane is in great shape. Our pilot is fully qualified. You might experience a bump or two, but you're going to get there just fine. You say, well, hang on to my ticket as you make your way over to American Airlines. And you ask, are there any seats available for the flight to Chicago? You bet, said the agent, and we guarantee you'll have smooth ride, no bumps, no jolts, no air sicknesses, guaranteed smooth sailing all along the way. It's a landing we're not so sure about. You see, our landing gear is not working quite right, and we seem to have a problem with occasionally landing nose first. Also, the brakes haven't been serviced recently, but, but we guarantee your flight's going to be smooth, even if the landing is a little iffy. Now, if you choose to, add to between a smooth flight and a crash landing or a bumpy flight with a safe landing, no doubt you're going to go with a bumpy flight. See, there are those who say, well, well I don't want trials. Uh, I don't want to go against the world system. I don't want to deal with, with, with all the church disciplines you talk about. You know, I want smooth sailing all the time. That's foolishness. Sure, you might escape a bump or two presently, but ultimately you're headed for disaster, a fiery crash landing. On the other hand, those of us who presently deal with a bump or two along the way will make a safe landing in heaven. See, that's what Peter's emphasizing over and over again throughout his epistle, that we need to set our sights on the big picture, on heaven. Then when you look at trials from an eternal perspective, he says, if now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, know that we're almost done. That it's almost over. We're almost home. We have the, this, this sense of, of completion. We have hope because we're nearing this sense of completion. I mean, think about it. When you're putting together a puzzle and you've got all the pieces laid out, when you get excited when you're, man, I'm almost done, just a few more pieces. In the same way, we can certainly understand where Peter's coming from here. This hope of eternal life. Peter knew that his days were numbered. He knew that, that it was almost done. He was also feeling that he knew that the church was coming to an end of its days. That's why he says in verse 8, You rejoice with joy, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. No doubt this took Peter back to, to remembering when he was standing there as Jesus rose up into heaven. And the angels come back, or standing there, and they say to, to, to them in Acts 1.11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Or Paul put it this way in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Our hope. Our joy, our crown, our rejoicing is to be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. So in the, in the midst of the trials and the sufferings, we can have joy because, and hope because we know the Lord is coming soon. Hope in the salvation of your souls. Again, Warren Wearsby writes, Men's hopes are dead hopes. Like cut flowers, they bloom a while and then fade and die. The Christian's hope is fresh and fruitful because it, it is a living hope purchased by the living Christ and promised 
in the living word. I like that. The joy that comes from hope. This brings us to our final point, the joy that comes to love. Again, look at verses 8 and 9. He says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with, with, rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, what great words of faith, hope, and love all within those two verses. Love, verse 8, Whom having seen you, you love, not seen you love, Faith, though now you do not see and yet believing. Hope, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oswald Chambers put it this, puts it this way. Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. Understand, Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus loved Peter. And, and there is an inexpressible and glorious joy that comes from our, from our love for Jesus and from knowing that Jesus loves us. And you can just see Peter's love for Christ and his commitment to him not only found in his words and his epistle, but in his life. Think about there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, we give Peter a bum rap because, oh, he fell asleep. But no, he was the first one to get up and draw his sword and try to defend the, the Lord that he loves. I mean, that's love, that's commitment, that's enthusiasm. Peter loved the Lord Jesus. But then after Peter blew it and, and, and he's convinced himself that he's good for nothing, he goes back to his old life, back to fishing, but then the Lord suddenly comes back and meets him and the Lord makes Peter breakfast and says to him, Peter, hey, do you love me? And Peter says, oh, Lord, you know all things. Yes, I love you. And even tradition tells us that, that Peter was, was crucified upside down because he felt he was not worthy to be put to death the same way in which his Lord was. That's love. And so too, Peter says to us, listen, you too have the same love, only special in your own way. Verse 8, again, speaking of our love for Jesus, he says, whom having not seen, you love. Actually, the original Greek language here is much stronger. It's of whom having never had a glimpse, you love. Now think about who Peter's writing to here. Peter's not writing to the apostles who had been personally with Jesus you know, followers. He's writing to scattered believers throughout Asia Minor. They've never seen Jesus with their own eyes. They've never heard his voice. They've never looked into his eyes when he spoke, never ate with him, never walked with him. In fact, they were not personal followers of Jesus at all, merely converts of those who had been personal followers. Yet these were the same ones that, that Jesus prayed for there in John 17 when he prayed, Father, I pray not for these alone, but for all of those who will believe me through their word. That's who Jesus is speaking of and who Peter's writing to and to us some 2,000 years later. Speaking of Jesus, he says, of us whom having not seen, you love. Now, there are many people who fall in love at first sight. The first time they see each other, oh, we're in love. We fell in love at first sight. It's been said that love at first sight is nothing special. It's when people have been looking at each other for years that it becomes a miracle. Now, Lisa, my wife, and I, we've been looking at each other for over 40 years, and I have to say she looks more beautiful as the years go by. But I remember seeing the day she walked down the island, island aisle on our wedding day. I mean, it was like yesterday. It was at an old mission church in Southern California with the lights from the back illuminating on her wedding gown. Just beautiful. And she's, she's coming down, just, just radiant, and she's coming down to marry a guy that basically looked like one of the Bee Gees, you know, with the... <laughs> With all white disco tuxedo on, you know. But, but having seen me, she still loved me. 
In fact, she liked that look, okay? She liked the look back there. But see, our love for Christ is not based on physical sight because we haven't seen Him. Our love is based on faith and our spiritual relationship with Him and what the Word has taught us about Him. That's why Paul said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now here's the thing. We have the hope and the faith that we will one day see our Savior that we love and that loves us. You might be familiar with Horatio Spafford, he was a lawyer in Chicago in the 1800s. He's famous for a hymn that he wrote called It Is Well With My Soul. He wrote that hymn after his four daughters died in the collision at sea on their way to Europe. It is said that when his boat sailed out there to recover the damages is when he wrote the words to It Is Well With with My Soul. But here's my, my point. One of the best verses in this great hymn goes like this. Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. He said, Lord, I long for the day when my faith will be fulfilled with what I see, not the other way around. See, that's faith, hope enough, put into practice in the midst of a trial. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. In other words, when you find yourself in this time of trial and difficulty and you're hurt, immediately, immediately lift your heart to Christ and true love and faith. Why? Because it's then you'll see Jesus. Not physically, but Jesus move and work in your life in a powerful way. And as a result, it, it takes the poison out of the trial. And it replaces it with joy. Satan wants to use life's trials to bring us out the worst in us. But God wants him to bring out the best in us. And, and if we love ourselves more than we love Christ, then we're not going to experience any joy. But on the other hand, if we love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we'll experience a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory regardless of the circumstances. And then we could say, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. And in that, then we can experience the joy that comes from faith, the joy that comes from hope, and the joy that comes through love. You may say, okay, Tom, those are great words for encouragement, and man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get up this morning, I, you know, I'm going to leave her this morning, I'm going to try really hard to be joyful. I'm going to, I'm going to put that smile on my face no matter what. And I'm going to be really hard to, and, and have joy and hope as I struggle through this. I'm really going to look for that joy that comes from loving the best. You know what? Let me tell you, that kind of joy, it's not going to happen. Why? Because it's apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to work these things in and out of our lives. Otherwise, it's just going to be a work of the flesh. It's just going to be, okay, you know, and you'll just repeat the same trial over and over again. But if you say, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit in my life, help me to have a joy that comes from knowing you, knowing the truth, from faith. Help me, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to have the joy that comes from hope, knowing that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in me. And Lord, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit through this trial to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and the focus solely upon you, it's then that joy is just going to overflow. It's not going to be fake or phony joy. It's just going to, going to come through through the power of the Holy Spirit regardless of the circumstances and the trials that you face. Do you know that, that joy is a gift promised to every believer? 
It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Joy is that, that fruit of God's Spirit that produces within you from the moment you receive the gospel. And it just it continues to increase the more closer you walk with the Lord. Listen, all the, the character qualities of Jesus Christ are to be produced within us through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We can have peace because Jesus is our peace. We can have hope because Jesus is our hope. We can have, we can have joy because our joy is in the Lord. All of these are produced as fruit in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit exhibits uh, love, joy, and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ from within us as we walk on the Spirit. Again, I, I can't do these things by myself. I have no power. But the power of the Holy Spirit, the one that gives me the power to love, He gives me the power to hope, He gives me faith I need to get through the toughest trials in my life. And He gives us that joy. Again, it's inexpressible and full of glory. Now, if we believe that, and if we live that way, then we're going to make a difference to the people in the lives around us. People don't like hanging around people who are joyless people. If you're a person who grumbles and complains and griping all the time, do you really think people are going to hang out with you? Oh yeah, man, he's really fun to be around. I just want to be like he is, miserable all the time. No way. But somebody, when they see a genuine, real person experiencing in Christ a joy based upon your love and faith and hope, and they see you going through a heavy trial and you still have this joy, then there's something different about you. I want what you have. Like the old saying goes, you catch more flies with a spoonful of honey than a jar full of vinegar. I don't know why you want to catch flies in the first place, but that's what the saying goes. But you get the point. It's our great privilege, if not our great duty, to show and to radiate real joy of heart, real gladness of heart that comes from faith, hope, and love. Not a happy meal, but a supersized portion of joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we thank you for the joy that you give to every believer as we focus our hearts on you. As we, as we faith, place our faith in you, our hope in you. Lord, as we love you from day to day, hour by hour, minute by minute. Lord, we know that you'll see us through any difficulty, no matter how great, how hard, how difficult, you are there to see us through. And Father, we also know, Lord, that the only way to have this joy that we've looked about this morning and talked about this morning is by having a personal relationship with you, knowing that our sin is forgiven and that we're born again. That's the foundation of our faith. That, that's where joy comes from. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that has yet to give their life to you, they've yet to surrender their hearts to you, Lord, they can't experience this joy that we talked about until they surrender to you, until they find the forgiveness of their sin. Because heaven is not promised to those that haven't been forgiven, those that haven't surrendered there to you. So there is no hope to those that haven't put their faith in you. So Lord, we pray, if there's anyone here that has yet to put their faith and trust in you, that they would do so this morning, that they would not wait another moment while their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. Is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to place your faith and trust in Him as your Savior and as your Lord? If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Just to raise your hand is just a prayer to, to, to dedicate your life to the Lord, to surrender your heart to the Lord. If you've never done that before, raise your hand if you want to. Or maybe you want to rededicate your life to the Lord this morning. Maybe at one point in your life you walked with Him, but now you've, 
you've kind of fallen away and you've not been experiencing any joy because you've lost hope and you've lost faith and you've lost, uh, you know, just uh, the love. You want to rededicate your life. Raise your hand so I could pray for you. I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? Lord, we thank you for, again, the work that you're doing in our hearts. Help us again by the power of your spirit to walk in that joy that you've given us, that love and that hope and that faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As soon as service is over, the elders will be up front. We want to pray with you. If you're going through a difficult time, a trial, and you need prayer, utilize us. Let us pray for you through this trial. Let us help you in that. So utilize that. So as soon as service is over, let's all stand. We'll do one last song together.